Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Let's face it, Detroit sports fans haven't had a lot to cheer about over the last few years. The Lions, Tigers, Pistons, and Red Wings have all been in some stage of rebuilding, and no one's close to being a championship contender yet. This hour on Detroit Today, we're going to talk with some of the city's best sports journalists who follow the teams wherever they go. We'll get an update on the state of our teams and being a sports fan right after the news from NPR and WDET. Detroit Today is supported by the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. This is Detroit Today on WDET. Hello there, Pat Batchelor sitting in for Stephen Henderson, who has the day off, and also for Nick Austin, who is still on the road in Greece. That would be the country, not the touring musical production. If you listen to the show, of course, you know that Detroit Today explores a lot in the realm of policy, the economy, the values that animate our politics. Today, we're going to do something just a little bit different with Playoffs going on in hockey and basketball. The NFL draft is underway. We're going to talk about sports. Later in the hour, we'll discuss the hockey playoffs, even though the Red Wings are not participating again this year. All the excitement that's been going on despite that. We'll also talk about the NFL draft. The picks the Lions made in the first round have uh, many experts and fans scratching their heads. We'll get into what that's all about. But before we get there, we want to talk about the Detroit Tigers. This is a team that has not made the playoffs since 2014. They went into a rebuild uh, several years ago. Uh, and after seven years uh, under the leadership, or lack thereof, of Al Avila's general manager, he was shown the door last year. They brought in a new guy, Scott Harris, from the San Francisco Giants. He had some success there, also uh, with uh, the Chicago Cubs uh, back when uh, they were uh, a regular playoff contender. Things got off to a rough start, to be sure. The Tigers lost nine of their first 11 games. They've played a little better of late, although they let another one get away from them uh, against the Baltimore Orioles on Thursday night. Why are they struggling so much? How is that an extension of last season and the last several? Is it possible to turn things around maybe with some trades? We'll talk about it uh, right now. We have Cody Stavenhagen, uh, who we've talked to before here on WDET. He's the Detroit Tigers beat writer for The Athletic. Welcome to Detroit Today, Cody. Hi, Pat. Nice to talk to you as always. So, as we mentioned, uh, the Tigers uh, sit uh, in third place in the American League Central Division. Uh, As uh, we're on the air right now, they've uh, won nine games, lost 15. One of the things that Scott Harris emphasized when he came in as general manager was he wanted this team to control the strike zone. He wanted pitchers to throw strikes, wanted hitters to take more walks, lay off pitches outside the strike zone. Are we seeing that? Um, Yes and no. I think rather than striking out more than any team in the league, the Tigers are striking out the second most of any team in the league. 
there's still a lot of chasing pitches outside the strike zone. There's still a high strikeout rate. I do think we've seen some improvement in uh, the walk rate. The Tigers still rank in the bottom third of the league in that category, but I, I believe they're 24th out of 30 teams, or they were entering last night. So that is a slight improvement from being at the very uh, bottom of the barrel. They Looking at it now, they actually rank 21st with an 8.5% team walk rate. You've seen slightly better plate approaches, some better at bats, uh, but the bottom line hasn't been quite enough to really make a palpable difference. One of the players that gets talked about a lot is... Spencer Torkelson, the first baseman, uh, he was drafted. He was the top overall draft pick in 2020, uh, made his debut last season, uh, if I recall, and struggled mightily, which rookies will do. You know, uh, he had uh, he was one of those guys that would swing at stuff outside uh, the strike zone, uh, didn't seem to have a lot of confidence at the plate. He looks better this year, and although it's not showing up in the numbers, his batting average, power numbers, he still strikes out quite a bit. He's making really good contact with the ball when he does hit it, and he looks more confident uh, after 24 games. Uh, he, you know, it doesn't look like he's getting too frustrated. Uh, how significant is that? Well, it's it's something. I think Torkelson very much still looks like a work in progress, but overall I would agree with your assessment. His plate approach seems better. Generally, he's carrying himself with more confidence. His average exit velocity ranks almost in the top quarter of the league, so he's hitting the ball hard fairly consistently. Um, he's, he's beginning to pull the ball a little bit more, getting the ball in the air, but still hasn't quite tapped into that power that uh, we all expected to see from Torkelson, who was a number one overall pick in 2020. You look at the offensive numbers, like you said, and it's been slow to turn into uh, noticeable results. He's hitting only 220. He has two home runs. His own base percentage is only 260. You look at that, uh, still not doesn't meet conventional definitions of a productive player. The good news is I think we are seeing some slow signs of progress the question, can he ever put it all together and how long does that take, can be very difficult to say with young players. Especially young players playing for a bad team like the Tigers. Now, uh, a year ago, we had higher hopes for this team because in 20, I believe it was uh, A.J. Hinch's first year in 2021, they started off slow and then went on a really good summer run. Uh, and then things quickly fell apart uh, last year. They ended up losing 96 games. Uh, they made some moves in the offseason uh, that so far have not really uh, produced uh, uh, much in the way of uh, improvement. How much of what we're seeing with the Tigers is the the result of just, you know, several years of poor management? Oh, yeah, I would say that's most of the the explanation for the Tigers' current situation. It's not something you can undo overnight. Uh, that said, Scott Harris and, and the Tigers' new leadership did not seem to make a uh, concerted effort to overhaul this roster, at least with major league free agents. It's pretty clear they want to start with investing uh, at the lower levels with a lot of behind-the-scenes things. Tigers had baseball's worst offense last year. They did not add a free agent hitter on a major league contract. So uh, when you look at it in, from that perspective, it's not overly surprising the Tigers, again, rank uh, 30th in team batting average, 30th in team slugging percentage, 
Um, but, but as you said, it's a roster that has been flawed for a long time. It's a system that has not had a ton of talent, particularly position players, for a long time. So definitely not something you can change in one offseason. Definitely not something a couple of uh, veteran free agent signings would have completely fixed. It seems pretty clear that there's still a somewhat long road ahead for the Tigers. The question everyone wants to know is, what is the timeline? Is this another rebuild? How long will it take? That's something Scott Harris has not really been willing to answer clearly. Um, so again, you, you can already see signs, I think, of things improving, of things getting better. Uh, but it seems to be a very slow process. And based on the actions of the new regime, it seems like uh, perhaps they're not in any hurry. Is there anything they can do uh, between now and the, you know, we, let's say we get closer to the uh, trade deadline uh, at the end of July to maybe add some assets to at least make them a little better this year? Or are they relying mainly on restocking the farm system? Yeah, I, I mean, I think for the most part, this is going to come from the farm system. Of course, there will be some tradable assets. Eduardo Rodriguez is probably the most notable um, starting pitcher the Tigers signed after the 2021 season to a big contract. He has an opt-out in his deal. So uh, if he has a good year at all, which he's having a very good year so far, he could exercise that and become a free agent. I think that makes him uh, likely to be shopped on the trade market. A little bit tough given he has this opt-out, but if he doesn't opt-out, he's under team control for three more years. Somewhat tough to say what kind of uh, return the Tigers might get in a trade, but Rodriguez is a talented enough pitcher. You could envision the Tigers getting some positional talent in return for him. Um, that said, you know, I think that leaves us back to looking at, okay, what players are coming up through the farm system? And it's fair to be excited about Justin Henry Malloy in AAA Toledo or Parker Meadows in AAA Toledo. Uh, but we've kind of been through this cycle of looking at the next prospects before with the Tigers. Um, it is tough to say exactly where the next proven established major league players are going to come from. So I think the good news, like you alluded to, kind of the blueprint for this year's team is the 2021 team that improved greatly as the season went on that went 68 and 61 after may 8th um that kind of punched above their weight a little bit wasn't the most talented roster but they played good clean baseball we've seen glimpses of that i think on the nights the tigers have won this year they've looked okay they've looked scrappy looked a little bit fun uh problem is on the nights they have lost and there have been more nights where they have lost they have uh, really looked lost and, and non-competitive at times. We're talking to Cody Stavenhagen, Tigers beat writer for The Athletic. Are you a Tigers fan? What are you excited about this season? Are you sad about uh, their less-than-ideal start? What do they need to do to turn things around? We want to hear from you. The number to call is 313-577-1019 if you want to join the conversation. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the Tigers were playing a game in Toronto, and uh, Javier Baez, who was also a big free agent signing uh, last year uh, he, he started coming around uh, as a hitter late last year uh, but he has struggled since uh, coming over uh, as a free agent to the Tigers uh, he got caught out uh, on the base paths uh, because he forgot how many outs there were and ended up getting uh, doubled off of third base uh, manager AJ Hinge pulled him aside and basically benched him for the rest of the game ostensibly with a message of, you know, we've got to play better, and if I can bench this guy, I can bench you too. 
And it seems to have responded in a little bit better place since then. I mean, the, I think they're playing around 500 since that moment. Um, how much of an impact did that have on the field and in the locker room? I think it's uh, tough to dispute. It must have had some impact. The Tigers went on to win that game and won four games in a row after that. And, of course, it's baseball. Their performance is going to ebb and flow um, a little bit, and it has even after that five-game win streak. But the immediate response was pretty clear, pretty palpable, and certainly hard to argue that it must have gotten through with Javier Baez, who, although he's battled a, a hand injury and a minor finger injury the last few days, he's hitting 361 in the 10 games since that benching. His plate approach has looked better. Uh, two days after that, he battled a 12-pitch at bat, which is uncharacteristic for Baez, who can be such a free swinger. He's walked three times, um, still yet to see the power you would expect from Baez, but he himself has played better, and so has the team. One of those things that you can't really quantify, but I think it was a needed step uh, from A.J. Hinch to put his foot down and send some sort of message both to Baez and, and the entire team. I think it was a reminder that um, – uncompetitive as they may be at times, the Tigers are, are still showing up to the ballpark trying to win. A.J. Hinch is certainly showing up to the park trying to win. And at least in the short term, I think a message was indeed sent and received. The number to call if you want to join the conversation about sports here in Detroit is 313-577-1019. It's Detroit Today. Pat Batchelor talking to Cody Stavenhagen about uh, the Tigers. And let's talk a little bit about the changes, the rule changes we've seen in Major League Baseball this year. The most uh, that often gets talked about is the pitch clock. Uh, pitchers have uh, only a few seconds relatively to uh, deliver their pitch and hitters, uh, they can only step out of the box one time uh it the, the whole idea is to speed up the game how's that working out yeah i think it's worked very well just over uh in the first week of the season the average time of a nine inning game uh was down 31 minutes compared to last year looking at about two hours and 38 minutes compared to 309 last season um i think so clearly games have been faster I think the pace of play overall has been better. I think it's been good for the aesthetics of the game. Seems like something players have already adjusted to quickly, and for the most part, fans uh, have indeed seemed to, to to enjoy. The Tampa Bay Rays uh, are the best team in the majors right now. Uh, I think they uh, they won, what, something like their first dozen games or so. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, they've come back down to earth just a little bit, but they're still, I mean, they're just a, a fabulous team. This seems, and I bring them up because they seem to be the kind of model uh, that uh, the Tigers could use to build a team that is competitive and isn't really all that expensive. Tampa Bay does not have a huge payroll, but they've got a great firm system. They have a they have, uh, uh, you know, some great young, talented players. They do make trades uh, sometimes when they're out of con- uh, out of contention and uh, and acquire more players later. And it just seems to keep building on itself. Uh, and yet <laughs> the Rays don't seem to have the kind of fan base that the Tigers uh, would normally have, um, which puzzles me. Why do you think that is? I think there are two very different markets. I think the sports markets in states like Florida and Arizona in general, where there are a lot of transplants, a lot of retirees, a lot of places from elsewhere, uh, can be tough to build loyal, established fan bases. And consider also the Rays were 
an expansion team, whereas the Tigers were a, a charter member of the American League. It's unfortunate that Tropicana Field isn't packed every night because the Rays are indeed a tremendous team, but I think the reality is they play in a market where it's just tough to get people to show up and, and buy tickets and um, establish a loyal fan base. A lot of people who live down there are already fans of other teams or come from other places. Uh, it's still a big market. It's still a, a big city. There are people there, but clearly it's been difficult for the Rays to get a consistent footing, at least in terms of attendance. Let's go to the phones. We've got Ray in Detroit. Hi, Ray. Hey, hi. Yeah, I just had a question for the uh, uh, you guys. Of, I heard that you the Tigers consistently uh, bring up players that are good pitchers or good relief pitchers, and then because uh, they're coming up to be uh, uh, free agents the following year, we end up dumping them all the time and you know trading them off versus holding on to them. Why why can't the Tigers just keep on and hold on to? Some of these, you know, good uh, possible, uh, uh, you know, relievers and, and starters that can help us. Well, yeah, I think that's a, a really good question, Ray, and it's um, one that's not necessarily easy to answer. You know, the the Tigers traded Joe Jimenez and Gregory Soto to their top relief pitchers last season. Uh, I think the goal was to get more hitting talent in the system. That's something they clearly lacked. So, how do you do that? Um, if you can't develop it overnight, well, you have to go out and, and trade or acquire it somehow. That was the goal when they got Nick, Me- uh, Nick Maton and Matt Veerling in exchange for Soto and Justin Harry Malloy in exchange for Jimenez. Uh, it is a fair question. The Tigers did trade two of their more established players. Uh, on the flip side, okay, say the Tigers had these two veteran guys still in their bullpen. The bullpen would be a little bit better. The offense would be just as bad. If not worse, how much would your bullpen matter if you're rarely playing with the lead anyway? I think as a general team-building philosophy, relievers can be viewed as uh, expendable assets, something contenders are always seeking, and thus you can get something in return for them in the trade market, Um, but not something you see losing teams hold on to a lot. So I I think from a a general team-building perspective, that approach, at least in... This most recent offseason certainly makes sense, uh, but it can be frustrating when it seems like when a good player does come through, they're constantly being traded in and out. Uh, that's what happens when you don't establish a well-rounded team full of talent. You're always going to be looking to add more talent, and that unfortunately that means sometimes the talent you do have gets traded away. Thanks for the call and the question, Ray. Cody, uh, we're going to wrap up here uh, in uh, just a moment uh, as we uh, talk baseball uh, here in Detroit. Um, The... Tigers are playing the Orioles this weekend, weather permitting, and uh, we'll uh, see how they... uh how they handle that. Uh, they got uh, swept in Baltimore, I think, last weekend, if I uh, recall correctly. Mm-hmm. It's been good to talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you again uh, as uh, the season wears on, uh, perhaps, and see how uh, the Tigers do, and maybe they can turn things around and hopefully uh, surprise us next off season. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Cody Stavenhagen, Detroit Tigers beat writer for The Athletic. We're going to stay on the topic of sports. Coming up, we'll switch to hockey and cover both the Stanley Cup playoffs and what might happen for the Red Wings next year. Will they finally get back to the postseason? It's Detroit Today on WDET.
WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. Welcome back to Detroit Today on WDET. We're talking sports today. Detroit, of course, has long been affectionately known as Hockey Town because so many people play and watch hockey in and around Detroit. Uh, We saw the Red Wings win four Stanley Cups from the uh, mid-90s to uh, the middle of the uh, 2000s. They've struggled in recent years. Uh, Playoff hockey is going on right now, uh, and it is pretty exciting. Uh, even though the Red Wings are not in it. And joining us now is Helene St. James, who's a longtime Red Wings reporter for the Detroit Free Press and author of two books. One is On the Clock, Detroit Red Wings at the NHL Draft, and The Big 50, Detroit Red Wings from Triumph Books. Helene, good to have you on. My pleasure to be on. We talk about uh, the Red Wings uh, often, and uh, we uh, discussed the uh, end of the current season uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Let's take a look at the playoffs, though, because there are a couple of interesting storylines. The Boston Bruins set a record, uh, 65 wins. Uh, That's the most ever by an NHL team. Uh, And, uh, of course, uh, they won the President's Trophy as the the top team in the NHL. But they find themselves uh, in a bit of a tough playoff series uh, against the Florida Panthers. Um, It's not unusual for a President's Cup uh, trophy winner to struggle in the playoffs. It doesn't always guarantee a Stanley Cup, as we well know uh, here in Detroit. Uh, what uh, What's happening in that series? Yeah, it's it's an interesting series. Uh, Derek Lalonde, the Wings coach, made, made a good point down the stretch uh, when the Wings played the Bruins, that because uh, he was with Tampa when they matched Detroit's record uh, with 62 victories in one season and said, you know, the, the Lightning was so focused on that, and it, it, he thought it hurt them. You know, they then they were bounced in the, uh, right away in the playoffs, um, that, it, that it hurt their focus. Now, I think with Boston, there's too much veteran leadership on that team. You know, they've, they've, they've I mean, it, it's, it's just a really solid team all the way around. Um, it, it's not unusual, you know, it, it's, it's hard to close out a series. I think... Uh, I, I'd be very surprised if Boston uh, doesn't accomplish it uh, in, in in six games. But um, but it's it's been it's been a great series, you know. I mean, I, I absolutely I love the first round of the playoffs because a you can watch two to three games every single night, and there's always an upset somewhere, and it's just it's just phenomenal hockey in my opinion, and and that series certainly has lived up to that. The Tampa Bay Rays are the defending Stanley Cup, excuse me, Tampa Bay Lightning. I talked about the Rays a little while ago. The Lightning are the defending Stanley Cup champions, and uh, they're on the brink of elimination. Uh, They survived uh, Game 5 of their series against the Toronto Maple Leafs, who just don't seem to be able to find much luck in the playoffs. They've been pretty good the last several years. Uh, They have, I think, the longest Stanley Cup drought uh, in the league right now. Um, Can they knock out the Lightning? Yeah, that's that's a fascinating series to watch. You know, the Lightning, they they won the Cup two years in a row and then made it to the finals last year, lost to 
Colorado, another which which they're also on the brink. But the Lightning, you know, I, I think the I mean, game four, uh, it was the Lightning were up by three goals in the third period. Toronto comes back to tie it and then win it in overtime. I don't think Vegas would have put any uh, odds on on that happening. Now we saw last night how hard it is for Toronto to close out again how hard it is to close out a series Tampa is wily and while Vasilevsky may have had some performances in this series that he'd like back I think he's the goalie almost everybody would pick uh, to have in an elimination game so and now they're you know they're going back to Tampa so I I think that's going to be a very very interesting uh, end of series to watch and you know, there's so much pressure on Toronto. They haven't won a playoff round since, I think it's 2004. And I think the cup goes back to 1967. But they haven't even won a round, you know. And they're, I mean, they've gone all in at the trade deadline to build as good a team as possible. So there's just, I think there's so much pressure on them. And the Lightning, we have high expectations of them. But they're also a team, they've played a lot of hockey the last three, four years, five years. And at some point, it's going to start catching up to them and, you know, show show their age. Uh, just they're going to run out of, out of gas. But that series looks like, you know, it certainly still has some fuel left and it's going to be incredible to watch the next game. On the one hand, uh, it uh, would be nice for a lot of folks to see uh, the Maple Leafs finally uh, move forward. On the other hand, uh, here in Detroit, uh, the Leafs have long been uh, the Red Wings rivals and uh, People like to pick on the Leafs, uh, enjoy uh, their uh, woes just a little bit, uh, mainly because Cleveland doesn't have a hockey team. So, you know, that leaves us <laughs> that leaves us with uh, Toronto. Now, as we uh, look ahead to next season, the ring, the Red Wings flirted with the playoffs this year. Uh, they uh, they haven't made it. Uh, they've been out of the playoffs since 2016. Uh, before that, they had a 25 season run uh, that included four Stanley Cups. They made some progress this year. They flirted with the playoffs, uh, had a nice run right after the All-Star break, a couple bad games at Ottawa, and Steve Eiserman, the general manager, said, nope, we're, we're done, and started uh, uh, becoming a seller at the trade deadline. And uh, yet, they still finished with 80 points, which is the best showing since they last uh, made the playoffs. How close are they to getting back, and what moves would... Eisenman need to make in the offseason to get the wings back to where everyone would like them to be yeah it, it's it's interesting um you know they they uh, on february 23rd they beat the rangers were in a wild card spot and then they played uh, the lightning speaking of vasilevsky the next game and they had far outplayed the lightning but vasilevsky was the reason they lost three nothing he single-handedly beat them and then came those absolutely horrible outings in Ottawa, and you know, their that that good story didn't even last a week. And then the the trade deadline, I think, you know, it's just it, it's they look like they have a lot of good pieces. But you look at it from the outside, are they bumping Boston? Are they bumping Toronto? I mean, Tampa still has some a lot of skill in that lineup. You know, Ottawa's up and coming. Buffalo's up and coming ahead of the Wings in the rebuild uh, in in their rebuilds. Which one of those teams are they going to bump? to either, you know, get inside the top three teams in the Atlantic or try and claim a wild card spot from that perspective. It's hard, you know, and I, I think the unfortunate thing, it, it just would have been nice to see what might have happened for the Wings had they made it out of the first week of the season without losing both Tyler Bertuzzi and Jacob Verana. Those were just 
devastating losses for them to lose both of the guys who were probably going to be their leading goal scorers had they, you know, been able to stay in the lineup. So that, you know, injuries on the other hand, they're every every team goes through them. So I think Steve certainly has put together a good team. Now the problem is this summer, uh, it is not an exciting free agency list. Um, you know, as far as going out and getting somebody. You just see it more and more. Teams resign their own best players. Now, what Steve does have to his advantage is he has a lot of draft capital. He has first-round picks. He has, he has, I think, five picks in the first two rounds coming up. Does he turn some of that, those picks into a trade for a player who can come in and help them right away? You know, are there teams who are in cap uh, have cap issues that you know he can take advantage of? Um, kind of like what he did last year with the St. Louis Blues. They couldn't afford to re-sign Vila Huso. So Steve offered a third-round pick, and, you know, the Wings got themselves a goaltender. Something similar to that scenario, I think, is probably going to be the best way for Steve to improve the Wings. It's, it's you know, it's been seven years, and, and people are getting tired of, uh, including within the organization, but, but it's just... It's just so much harder, I think, than, than than most people want to acknowledge. And the next big thing, big thing coming up for them is the draft lottery. Uh, a week from Monday, they've had no luck. They've either been pushed back or stayed in 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 the spot they were in in the lottery. But if they could, you know, ever get some luck there and, um, you know, move move up and pick first or second, that would certainly move the needle on the rebuild. Now, we're talking with uh, Helene St. James, who writes about hockey and the Detroit Red Wings for the Detroit Free Press. You mentioned the draft uh, coming up. You've actually written a book uh, about the Red Wings at the NHL draft. And I can remember, you know, back when they were building Stanley Cup playoff winners, I mean, they would they would find players, you know, in later rounds who would eventually become very good players and important pieces of the Red Wings uh, success. Um, is, is, is Steve Eiserman in that kind of a position, uh, these days? Yeah. The, the tough part is, you know, I think the, the NHL used to be much more of a xenophobic sport in focused on North America and the wings kind of were front runners or were front runners and going to, you know, Northern Europe and in, into Russia. Uh, and, and that's how they got a guy like Paul Datsuk, you know, in the sixth round, Henrik Sederberg in the seventh round, part of it is luck, you know, I mean, in, in 89, uh, goodness, they got Nicholas Littstrom in, in the third round, um, Sergei Fedorov in the fourth round. That was partly because uh, the Iron Curtain was, you know, there were all sorts of issues with that, with the Cold War and everything. But it's just it's just getting harder. Everybody has eyes everywhere, and it's, it's really, really hard to find somebody that everybody hasn't seen, um, you know, and that you think, oh, this this guy can become a player and you know we see it every year i mean within a few years you can already look it back and go oh they should have every you know they should have taken so and so instead it's it's really hard uh you know i talked to jim Nell for the book he, he used to be the assistant gm in detroit now the gm with dallas where he's done a terrific job but he always told me you know he didn't even know what his own children were going to turn out to be at 18 and he had you know been there from the start with them it's very very hard to interview or see an 18 year old 17 year old for even if you see him a dozen games and interview him to just figure out what is this guy going to become you know and and nowadays there's so much uh emphasis to on on digging into the player's past and and talking to everybody around him especially when it's it's a high round pick that really wasn't there 
early on um you know that uh that you that i in in the book you know I, i explore that how early on it was just okay this guy looks good and let's draft him and and see what happens what do you make of the NHL playoffs? We want to hear from you, our listeners. Who are you rooting for, if anyone? Why do you think uh, the Red Wings didn't make the playoffs this year? What do you think they ought to do to get back into a higher caliber of play? Call us at 313-577-1019 to join the conversation with Helene St. James. Uh, you know, Speaking of uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, you mentioned uh, Vegas odds before. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights uh, came into the league a few years ago uh, as an expansion team and they've actually done quite well uh, in uh, in the few years they've existed. Uh, they have won their first round series pretty handily, dispatching the Winnipeg Jets, uh, moving on to the next round. We're also seeing uh, some things from the newest team in the NHL, the Seattle Kraken. Uh, they uh, have been uh, playing quite well uh, uh, in, the, in the playoffs. They lead their series against the Colorado Avalanche. Um, with, you know, they, they're, they're an outstanding team, uh, Colorado. Why have the expansion teams uh, been as successful uh, compared to, you know, way back when uh, you had uh, uh, expansion teams that were not? Uh, it took them a long time to, uh, to do well. What's changed? Yeah, yeah. That, well, they changed the parameters for the expansion drafts and you know, I think deservedly so. If, if somebody's paying, I think it's half a billion dollars or something for a franchise, you want to start off with, with players who are going to get fans excited. And especially with the Vegas draft, you know, it, it's fascinating to go back and look at. Teams made so many deals because there was a limit to how many players you could protect. So there were very good players uh, that that the Golden Knights were able to start off with right away. I mean, you know, goal scorers, uh, flurry. You know, I mean, goaltenders with, with who had won Stanley Cups. I mean, they they really had a good team, and teams made all these deals under the table or you know arrangements to try and um, and and protect you know and, and secure which player was, was chosen and such. And a lot of those times it backfired. So I think you saw some of the teams learn from that with the Seattle Kraken draft. But Seattle still got some really, really good players, and they used draft picks to improve their team right away. And I think, you know, that's how it should be. Again, you know, uh, the owners invest a lot of money to get a team, and you want the team to come in and have fans be excited about it and, and fans want to go to the game. And in both cases, you know, they, they just both teams put up, both franchises put a terrific product on the ice, a great entertainment experience, and it's good for the league, you know, and Vegas, as you said, has already won in advance. Winnipeg had a lot of injuries. It was just really tough for them to sustain anything. Seattle has Colorado uh, on, on the brink of being eliminated in the first round one year after they won the Stanley Cup. So, you know, that I mean, th- these are good stories, and, and it's exciting for the league, and it's exciting for those fans to see that. And it all really comes down to just making it hard for teams to protect the players, protect enough players that both of those expansions team, teams had really good choices when it came 
uh, time to, you know, build a team uh, from uh, out of nowhere. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I just realized that I misspoke earlier in our conversation about uh, the Maple Leafs. Uh, The Colorado Avalanche are the defending Stanley Cup champions, not the Tampa Bay Lightning. Although the Lightning do have uh, Stanley Cup experience. And as you mentioned, uh, they've played a lot of games over the last few years. Uh, Helene St. James has been talking to us about the Red Wings. She covers the team for the Detroit Free Press. We're going to pivot in just a moment here, but I just wanted to take an opportunity to thank you for joining us, Helene. Good to talk to you again. And if the or if the Red Wings uh, uh, hit the jackpot uh, in the draft, we'll uh, talk again. Otherwise, uh, we'll probably uh, see you in September. Absolutely. Sounds terrific. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Detroit Today on WDET. Coming up, a conversation about the Detroit Lions. What are they doing in the uh, NFL draft? Listening to Detroit Today on WDET, Pat Batchelor sitting in for Stephen Henderson. We're talking sports, and uh, we're going to talk about the Lions. Everyone knows the Lions' story. One playoff victory uh, since 1957, the last time that they won the NFL championship. They've never been to a Super Bowl. Uh, they struggled mightily last year, uh, lost six of their first seven games, and then, amazingly, just turned things around. They won eight of their last ten, finished nine and eight, and but for some poor officiating uh, in a game between the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks, the Lions would have made the playoffs last season. Uh, they finished with a nine and eight record, um, and people uh, have been excited. Uh, Brad Holmes, the general manager, has had uh, a pretty good run of uh, draft picks. Uh, the the most notable, of course, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, the dynamic wide receiver who he took. I believe it was the fourth or fifth round in his first draft. I think it was fourth. And he has become uh, one of the most exciting players to watch uh, on the field. Uh, the energy that they get from Coach Dan Campbell, uh, it, you know, it, it really shows through. The Lions uh, have been building what they want to be a winning culture, a, a team that's tough, a team that uh, plays hard every down uh, and is good enough to win games. So here we go. Uh, with the NFL draft, which began last night. The Lions had two first-round picks, number 6 and number 18. The sixth pick is the one they got from the Rams uh, in the Matthew Stafford trade. Uh, When the first five players went, uh, the Lions were looking at uh, the possibility of bolstering their defense. They had a couple of players they could have chosen from, uh, including Jalen Carter out of Georgia. Uh, They also could have taken Tyree Wilson, uh, both uh, outstanding talents on the defensive line. But they traded down. The Arizona Cardinals gave them a call, wanted to move up and uh, and and make a trade. So the Lions not only moved back to number 12, they also picked up an early second round pick. And people were thinking, all right, this is Brad Holmes. This is his energy. So fast forward to round 12 and the selection. Jameer Gibbs running back out of Alabama, defying the general rule that you don't take a running back in the first round unless it's going to be Barry Sanders. And we've seen this play out with the Lions. Uh, They have not 
drafted a, a really solid uh, running back uh, in the first round since Barry Sanders. We're going to talk about uh, the Lions and the draft. We've got a couple of uh, knowledgeable guests here. Kirkland Crawford, who is the sports editor for the Detroit Free Press, and Justin Rogers, the Lions beat writer for the Detroit News. Gentlemen, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Good morning. How you doing? So, what do you make of this? Start. With- <laughs> it's a pretty open-ended question. <laughs> well, what do you? I mean, let's start with the. Let's start with you, Justin. Um, you know, just the the reaction when the Lions selected Jameer Gibbs, who is a talented player, a solid running back, played for a great program at Alabama. But a lot of fans were just and experts were scratching their heads. Why this move? Why did they take this player this early? Yeah, I, w- I would say the the general reaction was surprise. Um, you know, it didn't really fit the mold, I guess, of both Brad Holmes and what he's done in his first couple drafts, and also kind of the uh, direction the league has gone in terms of devaluing a position, right? Running backs are not typically drafted early. Uh, they don't sign the biggest free agency contracts. It's just the game has evolved in a different direction away from that position. Um, but but Gibbs is a different style runner than maybe your traditional uh, take the ball and run between the tackles type running back. He's um, you know more of a versatile player, an offensive weapon, if you will, very good as a pass catcher, uh, very dynamic with his speed. And you know, I always look for comps for players in in coaches or GMs past, and um, you very much can see in Gibbs an, an Elvin Kamara style player, and that was a player that was in New Orleans with with Dan Campbell and the, the members of the New Orleans coaching staff that came here. And um, you know, that's not a guy that uh, plays a uh, eighty five ninety percent of the snaps in a game. He plays somewhere between sixty and seventy percent, but he's a highly dynamic player. Uh, as I mentioned, he's he's very productive in the pass game and works generally in tandem with another running back, which the Lions acquired this offseason free agency with David Montgomery. So, um, you know, I think there's a, an intent and a purpose here. I think a lot of us could have pointed to Gibbs before the draft and said, yeah, that's a player that makes sense for the Lions. But I think probably most of us have been pointing to early second round or maybe even late in the first round had they traded up or down to that area then, as opposed to, to 12. Kirkland, let me ask you, uh, what does the addition of Jameer Gibbs mean for uh, DeAndre Swift, who was drafted a few years back, uh, another uh, high pick uh, out of Georgia, who has talent but uh, also has a history of injuries? Is he the odd man out? Well, I mean, it, it could very well be that way, uh, and certainly as, as Justin has been able to chronicle for, for the news and, and as we've chronicled here for the Free Press as well, uh, DeAndre Swift's injury history has probably big, has been his biggest hindrance uh, to the progression of his career and with the Lions not only making the selection with Jameer Gibbs, but also uh, signing David Montgomery in free agency, another one, uh, running back uh, who previously played with the Chicago Bears. Um the Lions certainly have shown a willingness and a propensity to want to establish uh, the run game. And last night's number 12 overall pick is certainly a step in continuing in that direction. Uh, we also saw that you know DeAndre Swift is one of the picks from the previous regime uh, headed by uh, 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 Bob Quinn, uh, the former general manager of the Lions. And 
the Lions also uh, in most recent days uh, have parted with another one of the Bob Quinn's uh, draft picks and Jeff Akuda, who the uh, team sent to Atlanta in a trade. So certainly the team doesn't seem beholden to uh, the previous regime's uh, top players and top investments. And there certainly is a air of uh, either produce or else uh, DeAndre Swift, of course, was a second round pick. So his contract situation is, is coming up very, very soon. Um, and the Lions are certainly not doesn't seem like they're going to sit around and wait uh, for that development in the injury history to turn around anytime soon. We'd like to hear what fans think about uh, the Lions draft so far and uh, what they're hoping for uh, in the upcoming season. The number to call is 313-577-1019 if you want to join the conversation. You mentioned, Kirkland, uh, uh, that uh, the Lions are, you know, I mean, they, they have a type. I mean, the, there's there's a kind of player that they like. Gritty, tough, uh, you know, athletic. And uh, toward that end, uh, they used their second pick, number 18 overall, to take Jack Campbell, the Butkus Award winner out of Iowa. Now, what, what was surprising about this is it's not surprising the Lions drafted Jack Campbell. A lot of people had him on the board. But in the second round, we were looking at uh, mid-second round for, uh, for Jack Campbell. Um, why take him uh, so so high? I mean, what, what did they like about him that they just decided they could not wait until the second round? Well, I think it, it, it also speaks similar to the way in which some of the other teams in the NFL are trying to win. And especially when you look at the the, the NFC, the, the conference that the Lions uh, reside, teams like Philadelphia and San Francisco, uh, into a lesser extent, maybe even Dallas, uh, definitely want to run the football uh, to have success. Jack Campbell uh, represents someone who can help in sort of stopping that run. And uh, the Lions defense, especially the first half of last season, uh, was a bit abysmal, quite frankly. Uh, so any sort of playmakers, especially um, sort of in the back seven, should help that. The Lions addressed uh, their secondary needs in free agency, basically bringing in three different starters uh, or three people who could eventually be starting for the team. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley, of course, has a, a knee injury that will have him likely missing the first part of the season. But um, they wanted to get faster and get tougher, especially with stopping the run. In my eyes, more or less, they sort of got a bigger, faster, stronger Malcolm uh, Rodriguez, who certainly uh, raised eyebrows last year as a rookie, the rookie out of uh, uh, Oklahoma State, who was another sort of tackling machine, but seemed maybe in some instances a bit overmatched physically. Uh, especially in the passing game, Campbell apparently will have a little bit better handle or seems to track to have a little bit better handle uh, in the pass game. At least that's what the Lions believe. And, and to your point uh, as well, Pat, you know, they, they have a type. They have a certain type of player that they want uh, from a football character standpoint. They want players who love football. And it seems like Jack Campbell is one of those players. Scotty Bizzle on Twitter uh, writes, most experts say these two picks were too early. I couldn't imagine what it would be like if the second half of last season was like the first. Winning bought home some time and grace with able first-round picks. Let's go to the phones. Mark in Mount Clemens, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Great conversation. I wanted to say, I want to go back a little bit and and 
there. I wish we had our 2011 offense and our 2013 defense. Wouldn't that be great? Um, when we lost Sue, I couldn't help but think about had the Pittsburgh Steelers not been able to keep Mean Joe Green, they probably never would have turned into what they did in the 70s, right? And the idea that year after year when we were under Matt Millen, as well as uh, when Stafford came, I was looking at a lot of the stats on points scored and points against, and the Lions would score more points than teams that won 10, 11 games, 12 games in some cases, but they never could get off the field on third down, and their defense let far too many points come through. So I was certainly surprised by that offensive take. It'd be great if we could get off the field after the third down. Well, let's see if uh, Jack Campbell can help make that happen. I want to go to Peggy in Berkeley, who is excited about uh, Jameer Gibbs. Uh, Tell us, Peggy, what do you like about the pick? I think it's exciting that the Lions picked a running back who's exciting to watch. I've watched him in college ball, and he's very exciting to watch to play. So maybe it make the Lions interesting to watch. Thanks for the call, Peggy. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument to be made here uh, that you want to build your strengths. I mean, the, the, the Lions offense certainly is the strength of the team. They have an outstanding uh, offensive line. Uh, the passing game uh, really came on strong uh, in that 8-2 uh, and two run. And uh, now they're uh, adding another piece who can uh, make things uh, happen in both the running and the passing game. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes. Uh, the Lions do have three picks now. Now, uh, in the second round, including the third pick uh, in the second round, which they got from uh, the Arizona Cardinals in that uh, swap last night. Uh, briefly, uh, gentlemen, uh, starting with uh, you, Justin, what are the Lions looking for uh, in the second round today? Probably more fits for their uh, grit mold, right? Like, I, I think they proved last night that they don't really care about analyst perceptions, they don't care about your big boards or, or how positional value works in the, the public's eye, they're going to go out and get guys that fit them. Uh, I think we can all identify positions that could use a little bolstering, um, you know, whether that's defensive tackle or cornerback or even wide receiver uh, with, with Jamison Williams missing the first six games here. But I think last night proved that they're not going to stick to the script we expect, uh, and they will add players that they think can help them in the long term, maybe more so than even the short term. Kirkland? Yeah, certainly. I mean, some some would say that some of the holes that they had are still there, right? And, and using uh, last night's trade to help add another second-round pick, uh, which will give them five total picks in the top 55 uh, selections, uh, gives them an opportunity to address things like pass rusher and defensive back. Uh, at the very least, and you know, especially in in light of the uh, Jamison Williams uh, suspension, along with uh, uh, Stanley uh, Barry Hill and losing Quintez Cephas and C.J. Moore last week, uh, some would also circle wide receiver as possible a spot to to keep an eye on uh, to tonight as well. Yeah, well, Jonathan Mingo, a wide receiver from Ole Miss, is available. Uh, they could uh, pick a backup, pick up a backup quarterback, and either Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, and add to that secondary with uh, Joey Porter or Brian Branch. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Brad Holmes has up his sleeves, and hopefully uh, we don't end up uh, with uh, you know Freddie pulling the mask off the Brad Holmes mask off the Scooby Doo villain and revealing Matt Millen, and we've been fooled all along. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's just the cynical guy here uh, talking about that. J- uh, uh, Want to thank Kirkland Crawford and Justin Rogers for joining us today. And for you, our listeners, talking sports here on Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. It's been a pleasure. Coming up, Stephen Henderson returns on Monday. Have a good weekend.